loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that in the Bible we have your word. We thank you for the privilege of time that we have now to look at it. We pray today that as we look at your word, we would come to love and serve Jesus more. Amen. Uh, we've been looking at a series called Five Truths That Changed the World That Will Strengthen Yours and, and Will Change Your World as well if, if you don't need these truths yet and will continue changing the, your world uh, if you do know them. Um, v is the letter five in Roman numerals in case you didn't know that. Uh, I always have to double check, especially when it gets past about 12 because of clocks, I think. Um, so today we're talking about Christ alone. Here's what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said in our first reading... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be the only way to get to God, to be in the right with God. He claimed to be the only truth, the person who's at the center of reality. He's not a truth among religions. He's not a truth among philosophies. He's the truth against all alternatives. That's what Jesus claimed. Jesus claimed to be the life, the only one who can give eternal life to people. He knew what he was claiming. He claimed to be the only one who could give eternal life to people. He claimed, therefore, that nobody would come to God and be part of his kingdom except on the basis of knowing Jesus. That's a pretty striking claim, I hope you realise. I hope you feel how absolute and how blunt that is. Um, people in Jesus' day did. That's why they tried to kill him. Uh, these sorts of things that Jesus said was when they started plotting his death and that's why he died on the cross because he sounded like he was trying to say he's way too central, way too important to God's plans for their liking. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just to make sure you've got the point. What's the implication of what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, the implication of what Jesus is saying is that Muhammad was wrong. Islam is untrue. It isn't that Muslims are insincere, but they are gravely mistaken. The implication of what Jesus is saying is that Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, was wrong. It isn't that Buddhists are insincere. It is that they are gravely mistaken, and so on and so on and so on. Jesus is making an absolute claim. You need to know God in him to be saved. Why would he make such an outrageous claim? Well, let, try and imagine the scenario for a moment. Imagine you need, think about how a medical profession works. Imagine you need heart surgery or someone who you care about needs heart surgery. Um, if I need heart surgery, I'm not letting just anybody perform it, right? They better have some skills. They better have some game when it comes to heart surgery. They need a qualification and they need to have a track record of pulling this thing off successfully, right? I am not letting any, just anybody with a medical training of some type come near me. The eager optometrist with a scalpel doesn't get to come near me. That's just how it works. I respect their ability with eye stuff, but not heart surgery. So imagine the scenario then where somebody claims that they can do heart surgery and they even have this beautifully forged certificate of qualification and they're utterly convinced they can pull it off. And they're so convincing with their wonderfully forged certificate of qualification to do heart surgery that there's a long line of people lining up to have this hack do open heart surgery on them. How do you feel about it? What I would do, what I'd love to do, is call them out for their falsehood. I want people who would be harmed by that hack to understand that they can't do this before they are harmed by that false heart surgeon. 
And if you think that's an over-the-top reaction, surely we haven't just understood what's at stake yet. He's going to kill people for crying out loud. The kinds of issues that religion talks about are infinitely more serious than that. They're eternal issues. Here's the big problem. There have, in the history of the world, been far, far, far more hacks trying to make up religions than there have been hacks trying to do heart surgery. And that's why Jesus makes this claim so boldly and so directly. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he alone is the unique son of God. He alone is the sacrifice for sins of the whole world on the cross. He alone rose from the dead, conquering death. Nobody else has done that. He alone has ascended into God's, to God's right hand in heaven and he will judge the world, he alone. And he alone is the ruler of the kingdom of God in the age to come and he alone, therefore, is the one we need to look to if we're going to be saved. It's not about being mean and picking on people who have a different opinion. It's actually about, you know, when it comes to this deal of giving eternal life, there's actually one person who has the ability to do this, in fact. And so we need to be clear about that. It's Christ alone that Christians trust in and find salvation in. So that's the thing we're looking at today. Uh, for Christians, Jesus is uh, at the centre of absolutely everything, though. Um, it's, it's, it's not just that we just trust in Jesus. He's at the centre of our entire worldview. If, uh, Colossians chapter 1 says that all of creation was made through and for Jesus. Do you know what that means? When God designed how the world should work, he designed it that following Jesus is the way you were designed to operate. The ultimate you, the real you, is the Jesus-shaped version of you. Jesus is at the centre of your identity if you're the true you. That's the kind of claim the Bible makes. If you buy an electronic product, you better look at the instructions, make sure you're operating it properly. God designed us to know and follow Jesus, and we're missing out if we don't do that. Kids in Sunday school learn this pretty quick, I hope. Uh, They learn pretty quickly the answer is always Jesus. There's somewhere in Sunday school folklore... Um, there's Sunday school's folklore. Yeah, that's a thing. I just made it up. Uh, there's a story about uh, a teacher starting a lesson with a question, okay, kids, who knows, who can tell me what's grey and furry and lives in a gum tree? And the kids think it's a trick because they know what the usual answer is and it doesn't sound right. And they, they sit there stunned. And they go, come on, tell me what the answer. And the kid puts up his hand and says, well, it's Jesus, but it sounds like a koala. <laughs> and maybe something's gone wrong there. But... Any half-decent Sunday school program will get after a while. Jesus is at the centre of what we're teaching. But this isn't just kids' stuff. I want to introduce you to a guy that I uh, admire a lot. Uh, This is Dr Ashley Knoll. Uh, Ashley Knoll is an expert on historical Anglican theology. Uh, He's a professor. Uh, He is uh, insanely talented and uh, very, very, very smart. Uh, He's teaching in Germany at the moment in German. Uh, He does English as well. He's proficient in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French and others, I think, and just has mastered his field in a fairly astonishing way. Um, But Ashley Knoll understands that Jesus is the centre of everything and he's a humble man and he's humble before the Lord Jesus. Um, You know he's humble before the Lord Jesus because even when he preaches or is doing an academic subject in front of people who, you know, were above this kind of Sunday school level stuff. Here's how he starts every single time, with a very simple prayer. And he says, if his people are offended by it, he says, perhaps you'll indulge me, I need to remind myself of my need for grace and of what we're here for. And he prays this prayer every time. Heavenly Father, we would hear Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would see Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would love and be moved to serve Jesus today.
Amen. And it doesn't matter how academic his audience is, he prays that prayer because that's what it's all about. I can guarantee you'll hear it if you hear him preach or lecture in anything. Now, modern Australians are very happy for us to do that. Did you know, uh, there was a study last year, there's a McCrindle organisation that does like studies and data and sort of stuff. Um, they found last year 92% of Australians um, think that religious traditions should be encouraged in Australia. That's a lot, isn't it? 92% think religious traditions should be encouraged. You should do your religion thing. Um, so Australia is very, very happy for us to be devoted to Jesus. Here's what Australia is not happy for us to be devoted to. Jesus alone. Add the word alone, just Jesus. That's what we believe, it's only Jesus. Suddenly, that percentage goes way down. Jesus, yes. Jesus alone, no. And it's been like that for a long time. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I think makes the point very powerfully for me. Um, Philip Jensen, some of you might know, was the dean of the cathedral in Sydney. Before that, he was the chaplain of the University of New South Wales. And a memorable mission that they ran with the student group there to reach the campus uh, with the gospel um, was a campaign with this slogan. Very simple. No Jesus, no life. That was the first week of the campaign. And people went, oh, that's lovely. You Christians find life stuff in Jesus. That's, that's good. We should encourage this. This is a wonderful thing. That's week one. Here's week two. Just change it slightly. No Jesus, no life. Suddenly, they faced a lot of opposition on campus. Because people don't want to know that message. They don't want people claiming that they're right and others are wrong. They got very upset. People today don't find Jesus offensive. They find Jesus alone offensive. But remember, as we've seen, the real Jesus was the Jesus alone Jesus. He wasn't a Jesus you can say, oh yeah, he's like saying he's the same as Buddha or something like that. Jesus thought it was him alone through which people are saved. Today people are going to say, what are they going to say when they see that slogan? They're going to say this. That's intolerant. It's actually not intolerant at all. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the talk. Um, but uh, the claim that Jesus alone is the way of salvation is something our culture just doesn't know how to process. The reason is our culture is absolutely soaked in the idea of relativism. Now, relativism, just we're going to come back to it again at the end, um, it's just the idea that all religions are basically the same. They basically do the same thing, get you to the same place, they're all equally valid, they're all equally true. Um, in modern Australia, anything that contradicts relativism people don't like. They really don't like. I think I'm right. I think Jesus is right. No, no, that's not relativism. doesn't fit with relativism. You can't share that message. People are very uh, intolerant of that particular message in Australia. Now, in our, uh, our second Bible reading there in the book of Acts, um, it'd be very helpful to have the book of Acts open, uh, page 1111, all the ones, um, is where that Bible reading was. Um, it'd be good to have that open because I want to read through it because what, it, what it's about... Um, It's about the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, preaching the message of Jesus to a bunch of Athenians in Athens. These people are pretty sophisticated. This is the centre of, like, you know, um, philosophy and stuff. Like, you know, Plato and Aristotle, these are our guys. Like, we're a sophisticated culture here. And Paul has to go along, and he's trying to convince these guys Jesus alone is the way of salvation, and you need to trust in him if you're going to get into God's kingdom. And so we'll read through that, because I think as we read it, we'll learn some things about how we can communicate this message to to modern Australia as well. So, if you've got chapter 17, verse 16 there, it says in chapter 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for his uh, colleagues, basically, um, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
he observes that this city is committed to all kinds of false religions because he knows Jesus is the only way. He's met Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the way to heaven. And he gets really worked up by the fact that there's so many hacks at religion at work in this city. There's so much falsehood. And it disturbs his heart very, very deeply. Now, Christians, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask, does it disturb you? Because it should. (laughs) Because it's the fake heart surgeon. The eternal fake heart surgeon. Are you worked up that people believe falsehoods instead of Jesus? Because if we're not, I think we've been affected by relativism more than we realise. Jesus is the only way. And we should be really broken for our nation and so many people who don't know him. Paul was greatly disturbed. Verse 17. So he reasoned, what did he do? He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as those in the marketplace day by day with those who just happened to be there. Uh, so Paul got basically stuck into talking to people. Who did he talk to? Anyone he could. We uh, have a, which side's it on? I'm confused in this building. That's living. Our mission is kind of on these banners on, on the right and left-hand side. And giving the message of new life is our process for sharing the message of the gospel with people. And you can see over here, if you can actually see it, we'll have to put them somewhere more perspicuous. Um, connect, care, communicate, and call people to commit to Jesus. What's Paul doing? He's connecting with people, whoever he can find, so he can communicate with them the gospel of Jesus. Just anybody could come across because he was disturbed because they don't know Jesus yet. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Oh, good, he's getting into some, you know, substantial discussion here. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, some of Paul's audience were really intellectually sophisticated. These two philosopher groups, I won't describe what they believe, but they're, they're smart guys and they're, they're thought out with their philosophy and Paul wants to teach them about Jesus. It's worth realising that these really smart guys didn't get it. Paul was a follower of Jesus who was personally appointed to be an apostle. He explained the gospel to them and they misunderstood it. What did they hear? Well... Paul's message was that Jesus has risen from the dead and that means the resurrection age has begun and so Jesus is the judge of the world and you need to trust Jesus to get into his kingdom. He's the judge of the world, get in the right with him. Here's how the Athenians kind of filtered it through their way of looking at religion. Um, Paul's speaking Greek, they're Greek. Uh, Here's how they hear what's going on. Paul's talking about two subjects, Jesus, Jesus, and resurrection, Anastasis. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, is a masculine name. Resurrection, Anastasis, is a feminine name. And so what they heard was, Paul seems to be teaching about Jesus, the God, and his wife, Resurrection. That's what they thought he was saying. Jesus and his wife, Resurrection, seems to be what they've understood. And so he had to talk some more about it. He had to explain some more. All I want to say about that is, don't be upset and distressed when you try and explain Jesus to people and they don't get it. It doesn't mean, don't be defeated about it. It doesn't mean you've lost. It means there's more conversation to be had. It means there's more clarification to be had. And the thing is, the more, uh, how do I say it? The more distance our culture and like the beliefs of Australians in general, the more distance between that and Christianity there is, the more time we'll have to spend clarifying what Jesus is about for people to understand. It'll just take more time. You can explain the gospel to anyone. It might just take more words in different cultures than in other cultures. 
Does, it, does that kind of make sense? So don't be disheartened when people don't understand the gospel. It just means there's more talking to do, more explaining. Verse 19, um, Paul keeps talking. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Well, isn't there just a philosopher's leisurely lifestyle right there in verse 21? But hallelujah, Paul gets listening. He gets to just explain to them, yeah, I just want to explain to you what Jesus is about. Give me another chance. And so he preaches to them. And this is kind of a summary. Uh, the Areopagus, you didn't give uh, sermons that went for, or discussions that went for five paragraphs. He was probably there for several hours. Um, but here's a summary of what he said. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, verse 22. And he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. What Paul does is he walks in and he doesn't just say, You guys got everything wrong. What he says is, I'm seeing some really good desires here and also some confusion that you yourselves admit. You've got an altar set up to an unknown God just to make sure you've ticked all the God boxes. Like they have altars to all sorts of gods. But there's one for an unknown God. Well, he's a God that isn't known to you. He happens to be the true and living God. And he's revealed himself. He's made himself known to people in Jesus. So let me tell you about him. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. All these temples around, grand things around Athens. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that, he, that, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul basically gives an explanation of this God they don't know. He's the creator of the world, he's the sustainer of the world, and he governs history. So you're here listening to me because God ordered it that way. God's in charge of history and events that happen. But you notice what Paul does right at the end there. He doesn't again, doesn't just say they're wrong. He grabs a hold of some of the things they've got right, even if it's just kind of, kind of right. You know, Athenians, your philosopher, Epidemenes, uh, he was right to say in God we live and move and have our being because God is the sustainer of the whole universe. And that, that's the Christian God. That's, that's what we're talking about. And even your poet, Aratus, he was right to say we're God's offspring. I mean, sure, that poem was about Zeus and, and, and it was about how gods are kind of in everything and that's all wrong. However, we are God's offspring. That's something the Christian message wants to clarify for you. And so in verse 29, he basically just says, idols don't make sense, guys. Think about it. If we're God's offspring, verse 29, therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Even by your own logic, Athenians, that's pretty silly. Good communication of Jesus um, will always involve, guys, um, folks, um, using the stuff in our culture, the things that people believe, 
and, and, and trying to mesh that with the Christian message, grab things that people do believe already um, and using that to communicate Jesus while also correcting things that conflict with the message of, of Jesus. Um, that's a topic I could have spent the sermon talking about, but it's not where I'm going to go. That's for another day. Um, Paul gets finally, verse 30, to Jesus. He says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And he set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed, and he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Why Jesus alone? Because who else is sitting on the judgment throne? If Jesus really is on the judgment throne, if he really will judge the whole world, then everybody better be right with him. And so we preach this really intolerant-sounding message. How do people respond? Well, pretty much the same way people respond today. Verse 32, some people said the resurrection's dumb. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. They haven't understood it. They want to hear more. It's good. The conversation can continue. Verse 33, at that time, Paul left the council, and the outcome of all this in the end was a bunch of people became followers of Paul and the message he preached about Jesus. They became Christians, and they were saved. Now, that's Paul engaging with a foreign culture, didn't get everybody converted, and it, it won't, because God's uh, in control of, in the end of who gets saved, and he uses us as we proclaim Jesus to people to see people come into his kingdom. But we have a different set of challenges in, 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 in telling people about Jesus in Australia, in Oran Park today, than Paul did in Athens. It's, people think differently. Uh, Worldviews change. People think differently, and there's kind of different challenges that we have to face. So I, I want to um, finish the sermon basically giving you four points on that um, that I think will help us engage with uh, modern Australians. Um, one of the big challenges we have as we proclaim Jesus alone is the way of salvation is people turn off as soon as you say that. The reason is because most people are relativists. They think all religions are basically valid. That's kind of a foundational assumption about how people engage with life. And as soon as you say something that sounds exclusive that contradicts that, they turn off. It sounds really intolerant. And so it's really hard for them to listen to the claim that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And what will happen, I've noticed over and over again, is a person who is a relativist, they think all ways are the same, when I say Jesus alone is the way of salvation, they will occupy the high ground in the discussion. They will treat me like I'm an idiot and that they are wise and they're right and this is mainstream and this is what everybody believes and I'm really silly because I've kind of gone, gone to the side of that. I'm, I'm believing something in contradiction to that. So I want, what I want to give you are four points that I think, I think show in the end relativists shouldn't occupy the high ground at all and, and, and hopefully it'll help us uh, engage in some good discussion afterwards and, and, and with people we know. Uh, I'm not saying you should fire off these four points at the next opportunity. You shouldn't. You should use them wisely in how you engage with people in conversation. Um, here's one of the things I'd want to say. All religions are not the same. Try comparing some. If you actually investigate the claims of some other religions, you'll find they're utterly incompatible with each other. And if I wanted to be really, really blunt with somebody, and I've said this before to somebody, uh, I think if you want to believe they're all basically the same and equally valid, you really do need to leave your brain at the door. <laughs> I'm sorry that's blunt, but look at it with me and you'll see that it's true. I'll prove it to you with an example. The Archbishop yesterday was here and he told us to uh, preach Jesus in this church alone, so I'm going to scare you all now by reading a part of the Quran. I'm serious. I'm not going to have a go at Islam today. What I want to show you is that this book, the Quran, and this book, the Bible, preach very, very different messages, and they're actually completely incompatible with each other. And you can't, you can't believe both. 
It's actually very silly to believe both because they contradict each other very, very bluntly. So I just want to have a go, not at Islam, at the view that they could be the same religion or they're equally the same. So at the centre of Christianity, I hope you know, is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for our forgiveness, yeah? If that didn't happen, Christianity is untrue. About 600 years after Jesus, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, came along and he said that Jesus actually wasn't the son of God. He was a prophet of Islam. Uh, and uh, in the Quran, he makes a pretty whopping claim about the death of Jesus. Um, this bit here is about uh, it's speaking about the Jews, the people of the book, or the people of the law. Um, and I'll read it to you um, and, and, and explain what it means. Here's what the Quran says on the death of Jesus. Uh, and we cursed the Jews for their unbelief and for their uttering against Mary, a mighty calumny, and for their saying, we slew the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. Yet they did not slay him, neither did they crucify him. Only a likeness of that was shown to them. Those who vary concerning this surely are in doubt regarding him. They have no knowledge of him except the following of conjecture. They slew him not of a certainty. No, indeed. Allah raised him up to him. Allah is almighty. Allah is all wise. The Quran very, very clearly teaches that Jesus did not die. He didn't die on a cross. He didn't die at all. God just raised him up to heaven without him dying on a cross. That's a pretty big deal to me as a Christian, if that was true. Because if that's true, what I want to say is, I don't want to be a Christian. Because the center of the Christian faith is, Jesus died for my sins. And if he didn't die, my sins are not forgiven. Christianity is a fable, and none of you and I should believe it. If that's true. On the other hand, if it is true, then the Quran's wrong. And that's a big deal to Muslims because the Quran is the very perfect, very pure word of Allah. And if the Quran is wrong, then Islam is untrue and you can't follow Islam. It just unravels at that point. And so the two biggest religions of the world today are Christianity and Islam, and at least one of them is untrue. Perhaps both of them logically, it's possible logically both are untrue. Do you you see what I'm saying? It's possible they could both be untrue. It is not possible they could both be true. Not possible. It is not possible that they are both equally valid systems of belief. So why do intelligent people believe all religions are kind of the same? Well, firstly, because a lot of people haven't, haven't investigated the issues and we need to encourage people to do that. But here's the bigger reason. All religions are the same because it feels polite <laughs> to say that. It feels really tolerant and it feels really nice. It feels respectful. And so people become relativists saying all religions are basically true because it feels like the best way forward in relating to people. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? It feels nice. It feels polite. What I want to show you just in the last three points here, in fact, relativism is profoundly impolite. It is profoundly intolerant, disrespectful, and it makes an exclusive truth claim as big as Jesus did. Second thing I'd want to say to people is relativism is is itself a religion that claims to be exclusively true. I don't know what else to label it except a religion. You think all religions are basically true? That's a religion. That's a religious assertion that you are claiming is true. Do you see what I'm saying? And you're claiming it's exclusively true. Because as soon as I say, no, no, they're not all the same. Jesus is true and others have got it wrong. You say, no, 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 they're all true. You're making a religious claim. It's a religion. Relativists are not saying to us, oh, I, I don't know much about this religion thing. I just don't care. I don't know much about it. They're saying, here's my assertion. All religions are equally true. 
It's a religion. And it makes a, a truth claim as big as Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's just as exclusive to claim to truth as anyone else. The difference is, when we claim Jesus is the only way, we're owning up to the fact we're saying other things are wrong. Relativists won't own up to that. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? They, they won't own up to saying, and I'm saying Muslims and Christians and everybody else who think is one way are wrong. They'll say, no, no, we're, we're including everybody here. It, it feels respectful and, and so on. Third thing I want to say, relativism is disrespectful because it refuses to listen to other people and allow them a different opinion. Um, I don't want this to just be theoretical. When I was at uni, um, studying teaching, uh, I had a friend who I did most of my assignments with and I hung out with called Michael. Michael went to Malaysia uh, for two years, a few years beforehand, and became a Muslim while he was there. Uh, He was very easy to spot on campus. Uh, When uh, Muslims went to the Muslim prayer room for, for prayer time, he was the white guy. Uh, so he was easy to spot. Um, but I got on really well with Michael. Uh, he gave me a tract explaining to me why Islam is the true religion and why Christianity is wrong. He said Jesus is actually a prophet of Islam. He didn't die on the cross. Uh, and, and, and so we talked about that. I wrote a response. We talked back and forth. Um, both of us were completely convinced the other person was wrong. But we continued to get on well. I think a lot of relativists don't think that could happen. But, but he was the nature of our relationship. I knew that Michael believed Islam was true. He believed Jesus was actually a prophet of Islam who didn't die on the cross. And he knew that I knew what he believed. He knew that I believed Jesus did die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He knew I believed Muhammad was mistaken at best if he thought Jesus had anything to do with his religion. And I knew that he understood what I believed. Do you know what I'm saying? Neither of us saw the other person convert to their faith, though we both tried. And here's the thing. Both of us thought that the other person was going to hell for their belief because they were getting it gravely, gravely wrong. But throughout the course of our relationship, we hung out together. There was no relational tension, even though the issue we differed on, we both thought was very, very important. And here's why we could do that. Because we respected each other. We respected each other the right to have a different opinion even on an important matter, than our own opinion. We respected the other person enough to let them to try and convince the other person that they're wrong without misrepresenting what the other person was saying. We respected each other to continue having a relationship without resolving our very significant disagreement on how to get right with God. We respected each other. We were friends. I haven't seen him for a long time. Uh, It just happens after a while. Now picture the relativists join this conversation. So you guys, um, after your rigorous conversation about the difference between Islam and Christianity, um, you guys believe basically the same thing, right? And you explain the differences, and they, say, and they go, oh yeah, yeah, but I don't think that stuff matters. Like Basically, you both follow religions, right? And they both lead you to the same kind of place, and, 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 and no amount of talking will convince them that actually we think very, very differently, and putting us in the same box doesn't make sense. We think the other person is wrong. Can you see how profoundly disrespectful relativism is? It refuses to listen to other people and let them have a different opinion. Whereas when I've spoken to Muslim people, I've typically found they've treated me with respect and I've been able to treat them with respect, even though we know that we believe different things on very, very important topics. Relativism is disrespectful. I think it's very important to know that and to be able to point it out sometimes in conversation. 
The last thing is, um, relativism is intolerant. It demands that everyone else agree with it. This is the hypocrisy of a lot of relativists. Um, Our society is very intolerant of the view that Jesus uh, is the only way to God. Why? Because relativism is the only acceptable religion you can hold in Australia. You're allowed to be a Christian, but as long as you're a relativist Christian. You can be a Muslim, but as long as you're a relativist Muslim. And if you dare believe relativism is wrong, and you think your religion is actually true, we'll call you intolerant, demand you stop speaking. Relativism is deeply intolerant. It demands everybody else agree. It demands that everybody else be a relativist, or else they should not be allowed to speak. Do you see how that works? This has been my experience. Perhaps it's been yours. Where people, even just with glazed eyes, when you say, I think Jesus is the way to heaven. It's worth pointing out, are you saying you won't tolerate me having a different view to you? That I think there's one way, you think there's lots of ways, that's a different opinion. Can we both have an opinion here that's respected and tolerate each other's different opinions and then talk about it? Australia will be a better, better country, folks, when people know how to talk to people who are different than them and relate to them without misrepresenting them. Tolerance isn't about saying everybody's the same, pretending we, di- we all agree. Tolerance is about living peacefully alongside people we disagree with. That's what it is. Now, I hope my four points are of some value to you. I'd love to talk to you more if you'd like. You'd write a whole talk on all of them. Um, here's what I'll say at the end. Here's what I want to just point to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means, friends, we need to have courage because in our country a lot of people aren't going to tolerate us preaching this message which seems so intolerant to them because it's exclusive. We need to have guts and we need to be able to engage in conversation and point out that actually we're being tolerant. Please tolerate us and respectfully engage in discussion with us about these very, very important issues because it's very simple. According to Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know life. But be warned. Know Jesus... No life. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and and, and praise you so much for Jesus. Thank you that whilst there was no capacity for sins to be forgiven, for sins to be taken away, for death to be defeated, you sent your own dear Son to come and die for our sins on the cross and to rise again to glory. Thank you that by trusting in him we can be saved. Please we ask you that you would give us courage and wisdom as we seek to share that very, very important truth, that very, very important person with other people. Please help us to do it respectfully and to show others that we are willing to engage with respect with those we differ with And we pray that through that process, others would give us a hearing and that some would find salvation in Christ. Amen.